This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elizabeth had finally arrived. It was a warm summer in 1932, and she was getting married the very next day. Her family had surprised her with a luxurious wedding venue, the Banff Springs Hotel, right in the middle of the Canadian Rockies. She could not have been happier. She and her husband went upstairs. Different rooms, of course. She came from a proper family. The rest of their guests filled out the hotel, friends, family, even her husband's colleagues made the journey to attend the wedding. Considering the steep price of even a short weekend stay, a Banff Springs wedding was a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, if you were lucky. The hotel was incredible. It had everything a bride-to-be could want. A spa, in-house beauticians, exquisite restaurants, an outdoor venue for her ceremony overlooking the forested Rockies, and the Rob Roy Lounge, an ornate European-style ballroom where she would share her first dance with her new husband. It would be the perfect wedding. (laughs) Elizabeth and her bridesmaids spent the next morning putting on their dresses, getting ready for Elizabeth's perfect day, until finally it was time for the procession. As Elizabeth stood at the top of the marble staircase, watching her bridesmaids descend, she felt someone brush past her. She looked around, but both the guests and the wedding party were already downstairs. Lit candles lined the staircase. The groom and the rest of her life waited at the bottom. She walked down the stairs, slowly, elegantly, just like her mother taught her, She didn't notice when a candle suddenly flared up and lit the hem of her dress. Elizabeth felt the flames lick her body. Terrified, she spun around, trying to see where the heat was coming from. She lost her step and tumbled down the stairs. The fire engulfed her, and she hit the floor with a sickening... The guests soon put out the fire, but it was too late. Elizabeth was dead. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to scenic Banff Springs Hotel and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. 
you allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as Parcast's other shows on your favorite podcast directory. The Banff Springs Hotel sprang from the mind of Canadian railway magnate William Cornelius Van Horn. In 1885, the Canadian Pacific Railway Company, or CPR, completed its line from Montreal to Vancouver. Business was good for the CPR, but William, a renowned railroad executive, knew it could be better. As he rode his newly completed line through the unmolested forests of Western Canada, he had an idea. William Cornelius Van Horn commissioned blueprints from renowned architect Bruce Price, for a luxury resort in what would later become Canada's first national park. In 1888, only three years later, the Banff Springs Hotel was completed. It stood at the convergence of the Bow and Spray River, a towering altar to human achievement among the Canadian pines of the Northern Rockies. Its hundreds of luxurious rooms attracted men and women from across North America, all of whom bought passage on the CPR just to spend quality time at the hotel, exactly as William Cornelius Van Horn planned. But the hotel's gilded exterior housed a painful secret. The architect, Bruce Price, joined the crowd on June 1st, 1888. It was the opening of his magnum opus, the Banff Springs Hotel. If he succeeded here, his future would be secure. In the crowd were magnates from across Canada and a few from the U.S. With their support, towering buildings from Vancouver to Quebec would bear his name. He led the inaugural tour, filled with railway executives and Canada's most impressive socialites. He invited all the honored guests into the grand foyer. Almost immediately, Price felt something was wrong. He had devoted the last three years of his life to this project, and he knew the hotel's blueprints inside and out. But they weren't in the foyer. Yes, the concierge desk was in place, but the staff desks were on the left instead of the right. Those sconces were meant for the ballroom. So was that hanging chandelier. He excused himself and went outside. That was definitely the front of the building. He went back in, explored a room off to the side, finding a laundry room where there should have been a guest lounge. All at once, it hit him. The contractor made a devastating mistake. The interior of the hotel was built backward. As a result, there were missing rooms that workers had walled off, a full-size kitchen shoved into half its allotted space, among a myriad of other problems. A mistake this massive for a project so large, built for such influential people as William Cornelius Van Horn, could kill Price's career. 
he'd never see his name on a shack, let alone major buildings across Canada. William Cornelius Van Horn fired Bruce on the spot. He was given 12 hours to collect his things from the hotel. After that, well, Van Horn didn't care what happened, so long as Price never set foot in the hotel again. Despite Bruce's dramatic exit and William Cornelius Van Horn's fears, the strange layout of the hotel did nothing to prevent its immediate success. The hotel sold out its entire season within a week, and reservations were being made years in advance. Bruce Price felt his job prospects dry up overnight. He was devastated. His once promising career turned to ash, all because of a mistake that wasn't even his. Filled with dread, he opened the latest response to one of his query letters. It began with a painfully familiar phrase, we're sorry to inform you that he couldn't stomach reading any further. His eyes glossed over as he tried to count how many rejection letters that made. Feeling faint, he laid down. His mind wandered back to that hotel. He thought of the walls and how they were supposed to be elegant, glorious, brilliantly designed to draw people in and keep them looking in awe. Instead, they were misplaced, mismatched, wretched and evil. Those walls were the cause of his doom. He laid his head down, dreaming of destruction. He wanted to stand on the mountaintops, calling down an avalanche to crush the hotel in cold, white death. He wanted to shake the ground, collapsing the place in an earthquake of godly magnitude, timbers crashing to the ground, screams muffled by trees splintering in the desolation. And most of all, he dreamt of fire. The smiting power of God turning that building and all inside to ash. But he was just a man. And for all his rage, there was little he could do. His veins pulsed on his head in frustration. Bruce had to get as far away from that place as possible. He bought a ticket to Europe and later that year, set up a new architecture firm in Paris, France. He met moderate success, but his mind still lingered on the Banff Springs Hotel. He would have been world-renowned if it weren't for that damned hotel. In 1903, while walking back to his apartment, Bruce fell into a coughing fit. He collapsed on the side of the road, he felt his strength leave him with every convulsion, and he knew why. With his last breath, he cursed his greatest embarrassment, the Banff Springs Hotel. Once the coughing stopped, Bruce opened his eyes. His head felt light, but otherwise fine, until he looked around at his surroundings. Instead of him laying on a street in Paris, he was in the twisted lobby of the Banff Springs Hotel. He waved at the people checking in, the porters carrying luggage, 
the maids cleaning the carpet, but it seemed no one could tell that he was there. His anger flared as he screamed towards the heavens. But as he screamed, everyone in the room stopped. They hadn't heard his screams, but they noticed the candle flames burn larger, brighter, almost uncomfortably so. Bruce grinned. He had finally found his escape. For 20 years, Bruce wandered the halls of the hotel, attempting to set its twisted wooden beams ablaze. He would send sparks flying from closed circuits and appliances, searching for any sort of kindling. He would slam the chimney dampers shut, scalding embers and flecks of flames arching over the mantel, grasping for the ceiling and the carpet. Yet all these years passed as employees at the hotel took extra caution around the flames. Bruce's anger grew with every failed attempt, but he knew it was only a matter of time until he was free from this place. Time passed, weeks, years. Bruce was never sure. The days had sewn together. Now, the only thing he knew was the fire in his heart. Then, Bruce came across an elderly bellman organizing coats in the coat room. The bellman set his gas lamp upon the ground a little too harshly, and the casing cracked just a touch too much. The bellman heard a dark and wicked laugh echo from the lantern. He watched as a bit of oil leaked onto the carpet, and the fire quickly followed the oil out. His heart pounding, the bellman hastily lifted the lamp and stomped on the flames. But he was too late. He couldn't fix the leak. The fire and oil mixed and grew, spreading across the ground. The bellman ran to the door, shouting out about fire. When he turned to look, the entire coat room had been engulfed in flame. Standing amidst the inferno was a small man, <laughs> laughing in glee. When the hotel was rebuilt and reopened in 1928, Bruce's spirit was nowhere to be found. His vengeance exacted. Bruce was gone for good. Bruce Price was a prominent architect of his time, his work later influencing famous architects Frank Lloyd Wright and Robert Venturi. In reality, he had designed many successful buildings, including the Banff Springs Hotel. Yet the Banff Springs Hotel was always one of his least favorite works. It seems less coincidental that a spirit was seen wandering the halls of the hotel after his death. And while a 1926 fire was started by unknown causes, it might not be surprising if a vengeful spirit had wiped his most loathed project from the earth for good. We'll explore the spirits of the rebuilt hotel after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. The original Banff Springs Hotel burned down in 1926. However, it did not take long for a railroad engineer to draw up plans for its replacement. In order to avoid another fire, the new structure was built with steel and stone. When the hotel reopened in 1928, only two years after its initial destruction, it was a praised and desired destination once again. The effects of the fire quickly forgotten. That same year, Sam Bresden, a New York stockbroker, took his family on a well-deserved vacation. He had just made his firm a boatload of money, and his boss gave him a month off and a big bonus as a show of appreciation. Coming around the bend, Sam saw the hotel. After the fire, the Bant Springs Hotel traded in its wood and shingle for rock and cement. It looked closer to a massive French chateau than a hotel. Sam looked over at his wife, Shirley, and his daughter, Daisy, and smiled. Without the stress of his job, Sam was excited to reconnect with his wife and explore the nearby woods with his daughter. This would be a good trip. Porters from the hotel greeted other guests on the train, but much to his confusion, not Sam and his family. He carried all their bags through the town instead. Arriving at the hotel, Sam calmly asked to speak with the concierge. There'd been a mix-up. Whoever had taken Sam's reservation had his arrival scheduled for the following week. As the hotel was perpetually sold out, there were no rooms left available. Sam's excitement for the hotel dissipated in an instant. He had come with cheer, but now he held only anger. He explained to the concierge that he needed a room. He demanded a room. He had brought his family all the way from New York, several days travel. The concierge cowered at Sam's fury. He spoke to his manager and they murmured in the back room. When the concierge returned, he offered Sam a solution. They could take room 873. The only problem was that room 873 was strange. It had been built without a window, and the last guest to stay there had fallen ill. Since then, the room had been closed off to guests. But if Sam wished, he and his family would be allowed to take it. Sam readily agreed. Sam and his family arrived at the room, their luggage with a porter behind them. Sam opened the door, and Daisy rushed in. Sam followed and sniffed the air. Something smelled off to him, like static electricity. He asked Shirley if she could sense it, but no. The room smelled only of linens to her. Sam shut the door behind him, eyeing the ceiling. Whatever it was, it could wait till later. As their vacation continued, Shirley became worried about her husband. He became more and more distant. 
The first few nights at dinner, he flirted with her and played with Daisy. But as time progressed, he had turned stone-faced and stoic, hardly a hint of emotion left in his face. When they would lay down for rest at night, he would sit at the foot of the bed, sniffing the air, a puzzled look on his face. Sometimes he would retch at whatever it was he smelled, altogether displeased by the phantom scent. Shirley suggested they hire a nanny for a day and spend some quality time together, maybe in the woods or maybe in their room. Sam just grunted. The next day, Sam didn't even get out of bed. He didn't respond to anything Shirley or Daisy said. He just laid there eyes open, staring at the ceiling. Shirley pleaded with him to leave the room, with no response. Fearfully, she took Daisy and stepped out, hoping that when she returned, he would be back to his old self again. Shirley and Daisy ate breakfast, toured through the woods, and spent some time by the nearby rivers. It was the most beautiful place Shirley had ever seen. She was saddened that Sam was not with them, but she hoped that whatever was going on with him would work itself out while she was away. After a long day of exploring the grounds, Shirley and Daisy returned to room 873. Shirley opened the door slowly, peering into the room with trepidation. The light was on, but she breathed a sigh of relief when she saw her husband, eyes closed, snoring on the bed. Shirley tucked Daisy into her cot and crawled into bed next to her husband. Tomorrow, she hoped, they'd go for a swim. Shirley woke up. Groggy, Shirley blindly reached around her bedside table, hoping to find the light switch. She flicked it on and looked around the room. She saw Sam huddled over their daughter's bunk, his breathing loud, long, and deep. Then, she noticed blood, dripping slowly, pooling on the ground. Stories about Room 873 have been told since the opening of the rebuilt hotel in 1928. At first, the room was just a small mistake by the contractor. But its legend soon burgeoned. The most popular legend is that a family patriarch lost his mind before murdering his family and turning the knife on himself. On nights with no moon, the daughter wanders the halls of the eighth floor, her little dress stained with blood, asking guests and staff if they know where her family went. Patrons who stayed in room 873 before the hotel boarded it up claim a number of mysterious happenings. Screams or sudden sharp pains woke them up and bloody handprints appeared on mirrors in the room. To this day, the hotel denies room 873 existed at all. But this poor girl is not the only ghost to roam these halls. In fact, some stories tell of a ghost bride who longs to see her lover once again. 
Roger's wife died the day before. No, not wife, fiancé. Elizabeth never made it to the wedding. In a horrible turn of events, she died just moments before they were to be wed. As he sat in the Bamp Springs Hotel bar, miserable and drunk, he heard wedding bells. The rational part of his mind knew the hotel had a business to run. Their wedding schedule wouldn't be disrupted just because his fiancée had... He couldn't bring himself to say it. Not even to himself. But the bells still felt like a cruel joke. A terrible reminder of his now non-existent future happiness. Roger took another sip of his drink. The hotel had given Roger a few complimentary days in a room and unlimited access to the bar to ease the pain while he got Elizabeth's affairs in order. Roger demanded he move to a different room. The honeymoon suite didn't have the same appeal anymore. The hotel happily obliged. Later that night, Roger stumbled out of the bar. The bartender offered to help him back to his room, but Roger waved him off. He needed to be alone. He hummed a song as he walked down the hall, his wife's favorite. Then, he heard something strange. Roger could recognize that voice anywhere. It was Elizabeth. There was no mistaking it. He shook his head. The voice faded. Of course it did. His fiancée was dead. There was no changing that. Roger's ears perked up. The sound of his wedding music emanated from just beyond the door. It was past midnight. No one should be in the Rob Roy Lounge, let alone playing music designated for his wedding. Someone was playing a cruel trick on him. He opened the ballroom doors to confront the prankster. only to find the room completely empty. He looked around, trying to spot the culprit, but he saw only tables and chairs, sparsely decorating the otherwise empty room. He walked towards the opposite wall, thinking perhaps the culprit was hiding under a table, but his search revealed nothing. Cursing his own addled mind, Roger turned around. His breath stopped short. Standing not 20 feet away from him, glowing in the ethereal moonlight, was Elizabeth, dressed the way she was on that fateful day. She twirled, her silken gown flared out, glittering, before cascading back around her legs. Roger advanced toward her, but Elizabeth moved away. For every step he took, she took a step back. He cried out, pleaded with her to stop moving. Elizabeth slipped out of the room, and when Roger followed her into the hallway, she was nowhere to be seen. An anxious Roger hurried down the hall, desperate to find his Elizabeth once again. He found a passing porter, a young man from Scotland, and asked if he'd seen a woman wearing a wedding dress. The porter had not. He'd been up and down these halls since the early evening, in fact, 
and hadn't seen or heard anything out of place. The porter excused himself, leaving Roger alone once again. He didn't care what some hotel porter said. He knew his fiancée was here. He followed the sound of her song through the corridors and across the lobby, finally entering that awful place. The room where, three days prior, his wonderful Elizabeth lost her life. The marble staircase in front of him, Roger fell to his knees. The memories were too recent, too painful for him to process. The voice of his fiancée pulled him from his stupor. He looked up. There, at the top of the marble staircase, was his wife. He could see her as clear as the moon in the sky. Roger raced up the stairs to touch her, hold her in his arms one more time. He reached out to her, breathless. She swayed softly. A loose smile played across her face. As his fingers touched her, he felt a warmth emanate from her. He grasped her hand, and the warmth grew, and it kept growing. Roger was in pain. He tried to let her go, but he couldn't. The heat was unbearable. Just when he could no longer stand it, Elizabeth vanished in a burst of flame. Where she stood, her engagement ring fell to the floor. As Roger bent over to pick it up, a wave of madness washed over him. She had been so close, and now she was taken from him again. He was going to find her. His wife was still here. She had to be. Roger was found the next day in the same spot, alive, depending on your definition. He had torn the carpet from the floor, punched holes in the walls, his hands bloody and singed. Roger claimed he was looking for his Elizabeth. A month later, he was committed to a nearby asylum. For the rest of his life, he never stopped looking for his ghost bride. The ghost bride of Banff Springs Hotel is one of Canada's most famous spirits. Every year, hundreds of guests visit the hotel just to see her. She's so popular, in fact, that she appears on a commemorative stamp and a special holographic coin released in 2014. The ghost bride appears on certain nights, listlessly dancing around the ballroom, wandering up and down the marble stairs, or crying in the bridal suite. Some guests and staff report that she appears to be on fire, while others say she only wears her wedding dress. Regardless, they all agree, the ghost bride continues to haunt the hotel to this day, desperate for the wedding she never got to have. We'll explore more of the Banff Springs Hotel's spooks and spirits after this. And now, back to the story. Despite the guests' various run-ins with the ghost bride, 
the Banff Springs Hotel maintained its prominence as a premier vacation destination throughout its existence. People from all over the world and across many periods of time longed to stay, even if they encountered spirits at the check-in counter. In the summer of 1978, during the witching hour, an elderly couple arrived at the hotel. They spent the day driving up from their Seattle home and had underestimated how long the journey would take by several hours. Exhausted, the couple searched the deserted lobby for staff, but found no one. They rang the call bell. The bell's ding grew and grew until a cacophonous noise nearly overcame the couple. They felt its metallic ring penetrate their bones, and just when they couldn't take it anymore, it stopped. A spindly old man stepped out from the staff door. The couple, still rattled from the bell and fatigued by their drive, found it difficult to focus on him as though his borders were undefined and blurry. He contorted his mouth into a toothy grin and greeted them, his raspy voice tinged with an unmistakable Scottish lilt. He checked them into the hotel and led them to the elevator. All the while they tried to look at him, their eyes seemed to fail them completely. In the bright light of the ninth floor, the man seemed almost translucent. He led them down the hall, pausing every few seconds to turn around and make sure the couple was following. The couple, unable to focus, looked down at the carpet. They arrived at their room. The man slowly opened the door and led them in. The couple, wishing to sleep, bid the man farewell and despite his bizarre nature, went to offer him a tip. When they looked up, however, the man was gone. The next morning, the couple approached the concierge desk and asked after the man who had helped them. Though his behavior had been a bit unusual, the couple still felt he deserved a tip. The receptionist insisted that no one matching that description worked at the hotel, although old Sam, who had died there three years ago, came close. Sam McAuley was a porter for the Banff Springs Hotel, who was hired sometime during the 1930s. He worked at the hotel until 1976, when he died of cancer. He had refused treatment, and insisted that he die in the hotel that he loved. And due to his dutiful decades of work, the hotel owners honored his dying request. Since then, Guests and staff alike have seen him wandering the halls at night, helping tired guests with their baggage and making sure his beloved hotel continues to run. There have been hundreds, if not thousands of sightings at the Banff Springs Hotel of everything from mysterious lights outside their bedroom windows to fully corporeal figures wandering the hall. Some unlucky guests get to see several of these specters all at once. James Doyle woke up on the floor of his hotel room, several feet away from his bed, his pillow on the other side of the room. James checked his clock, 
11.30 p.m. He'd gone to bed early after a long day, but he'd still only been asleep for two hours. James knew he would not fall back asleep anytime soon, so he put on some clothes and went downstairs to the hotel bar. James drank beer after beer as he spoke with a few people about himself. He'd been laid off a few weeks ago and decided to take a break, stay in the mountains for a bit, and rethink his whole life. Near the end of the night, James excused himself to the washroom. As he stepped out of the stall, he heard a man singing. He couldn't place where the voice was coming from, despite the room being relatively small. As James searched, one man's voice was joined by many more, an entire choir echoing through the washroom. It sounded as though the choir was singing hymns, but they sounded strange, distorted. James made his way back into the bar. It was completely empty. His nerves uneasy, James left the bar. He crept through the hotel, also devoid of life. In his drunkenness, he lost his way. And as he wandered, he came across the Rob Roy Lounge, a popular evening club where James had spent several enjoyable nights. As he stood there, he heard the constant, unmistakable sound of bagpipes. As if the night couldn't get any worse. It started quiet, but quickly grew into an overwhelming wall of noise. James found himself walking towards the music, inexplicably drawn in by its spectral wailing. He opened the door of the Rob Roy Lounge, and the music became even louder. There, standing on the stage in full Piper regalia, was the source of the noise. A muscled, broad-shouldered man held the bagpipes and blew into them with his bloody stump of a neck. The throat warbled as the pipe whined in pain, squeezed beneath his arms. With a final flourish, the song ended, and the headless bagpiper disappeared. James stood up, grateful that the music ended, but wary of what could come next. He walked behind the bar. Maybe a drink would help calm him down. He poured himself a small glass of tequila. As he picked it up, a man appeared next to him. He was dressed like the bartender, dress shirt, pleated pants, bow tie, and a vest. James froze, glass halfway to his lips. He apologized. He hadn't realized anyone else was here, and he'd needed a drink. The bartender just chuckled. He told James to finish his drink, so he gulped it down. As the liquid went down James's throat, a smile grew on the bartender's face. The bartender took James's glass and poured another drink. He held out the glass and insisted James take it once more. James shook his head. He'd had enough. The bartender insisted. James refused again. The bartender's smile faded. He grabbed James's hand, wrapped it around the glass, and growled. James felt the glass growing cold. The bartender's hands wrapped around his. Nervously, James lifted the glass. The liquid inside had crystals of ice forming within. 
James knew alcohol should never be that cold. But the stern look of the bartender pressed him to put the glass to his lips. The freezing liquid went down his throat, soaking the warmth from his insides. The bartender chuckled. He told James it was getting late. Shouldn't he be getting back to bed soon? The bartender turned and walked, gesturing for James to follow. James looked at the clock on the wall. It was nearly 3 a.m. A deep chill slowly crept up his legs. His shallow, stilted breath was the only thing staving off the deafening silence. Then, against his will, his feet started moving, carrying him towards the ghostly bartender. James followed the bartender out the hall, then into the elevator. The elevator brought the two to the third floor. The bartender floated down the hall, and James followed. Suddenly overcome with fatigue, he struggled to keep his eyes open. He felt his panic slip away, occupying an ever-decreasing slice of his mind. All he wanted now was to sleep. The door to his room swung open on its own, and James entered. His bed was so inviting, warm, cozy, peaceful. A little voice deep in the back of his mind tried to tell him something. This was a mistake. This was a trap. But he had lost control. He took off his shoes, peeled back the covers, and drifted off to sleep. He awoke with a piercing headache, a splitting, throbbing headache, the likes of which he had never felt before. He kept his eyes shut tight, groaning in pain. He tried to lift his hand to rub his forehead, but he didn't feel his hand move. Perplexed, he tried again, but he soon found he couldn't feel his hand at all. In fact, he couldn't feel his body at all. Frightfully, he opened his eyes. He looked out upon the Rob Roy Lounge, empty and dark. He looked down to notice a body that was not his own, holding a bagpipe under its arms. He opened his mouth to scream, only to find his mouth filled with the pipe, blowing and blowing. That frightening wail filling his ears. Banff Springs Hotel is home to a myriad of spirits. Guests sometimes complain of mysterious lights outside their rooms, pillows or blankets flying off their beds, and doors slamming. Several reports from the 1950s tell of a ghost who lived in a portrait of a woman named Mackenzie, who would leave the painting at night to frighten staff and visitors. A few guests even mention hearing a full male choir in the men's washroom on the ground floor. More still describe the long-dead residents of the Rob Roy Lounge, including a headless bagpiper and a bartender who encourages guests to go to bed after they've had enough to drink. Since its 1888 opening, the Banff Springs Hotel has seen tragedy and joy, misery and hope. Even after burning to the ground, 
the hotel sprung up anew, stronger and more appealing than ever before. The beauty of its design and lavish interior are only matched by the beauty of its surroundings. The rugged Canadian wilderness, simultaneously lush and brutal. Its storied halls play host to royalty on months-long vacation and families just getting away for a few days. With its majesty and splendor, the hotel draws guests and staff from around the world. And sometimes, just sometimes, it doesn't let them go. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Augustus Schiff. I'm Greg Polson.